Hey everybody, it's Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today. Hey, while you're on your phone, why don't you go ahead and follow us on social media at Fern Creek CC on Facebook and Instagram. And you can download the Fern Creek Christian Church app on your phone today. We hope this message encourages you to become a better follower of Jesus, to be a disciple that makes more disciples. So without further ado, here's the message. My name is Matthew, and I just want to say what an honor it is to be able to get to speak in, on, on this stage, especially after the last couple of weeks as we looked at the, the Gospel of Matthew, and we looked at Scripture, and we asked ourselves if we're ready for Jesus is coming back. And uh, we said that being a Christian is about a relationship. We challenged each other, man, do we have a relationship with Jesus? Because he is coming back. And that's the truth of the gospel. And I'm uh, just honored to be able to, to speak in a place where the truth of the gospel is preached. Amen. <laughs> Usually when we talk about quitting, we say quitting is a bad thing. We say, don't quit, don't give up. But in order to follow Jesus and stand unwavering in our faith, there are some things we need to quit and leave behind. And today we're letting go of bitterness so that we can fully taste and experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what gets me going in the morning. When I have trouble waking up, all I need is a warm cup of coffee. Wow, that'll preach, I guess. Where are my, where are my black cup of coffee drinkers? No sweetener, no milk, no cream. Wow, you must have had nails for breakfast. Crazy. Where? Okay, who puts uh, more creamer in their coffee than actual coffee? Your coffee looks like a glass of milk. Wow. Sugar. Yes, please. No. And then where, where are the people who don't like coffee? You're like, I like tea or... Wow. Well, hey, let me tell you about a day coming up. Baptism Sunday. Decision day. May 21st. We'll hold you under the water. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Coffee. I'm not kidding about decision day. That is happening May 21st, but it doesn't matter if you don't like coffee or not. Uh, you know, I would describe black coffee as bitter. And in the context of taste, bitterness is the opposite of sweetness. We like our coffee, for example, somewhere on the scale of black and bitter to mixed and sweet. Now, I like my coffee with just a little bit of sweet creamer to neutralize the bitter taste. And scripture actually supports that decision. And, uh, you know, I just try to live in obedience to scripture. Look at Hebrews 12, 15. It says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. In other words, get bitterness out of your life. Eradicate bitterness from your heart because it causes trouble and it spreads. It corrupt, corrupts not just one, but many. I'm sure you've heard the expression, hurt people hurt people. And bitterness 
is like a root that won't stop spreading until we find a way to kill it. And we may be able to mix bitter coffee with sweet milk to get something in between, but the author of Hebrews here warns us that the grace of God the Father and a bitter heart do not exist together. James even asks in his book, uh, chapter three, verse 11, he says, does a spring water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? There's no body of water anywhere in the world that has pure fresh water flowing together right beside salt water. And in the same way, the freshness of God's loving mercy and a bitter, resentful heart cannot flow together in the same stream. Where one is present, the other is not. Grace and bitterness cannot coexist. And we may become bitter when we work overtime multiple days a week, yet we still find ourselves struggling to pay the bills at the end of the month. We may become bitter when an attempt to fix and restore our marriage turns into further and uglier arguments with our spouse. We may become bitter when we've proven ourselves time and time again, but the boss chooses someone else to get the promotion. We may become bitter when we have a dream, we have a goal in life, and someone whose opinion we value tells us we're not good enough. We may become bitter when we've been praying for years and years over this family member to find Jesus and declare him Lord of their life, but they keep turning away the invitation to come to church. And we may become bitter when we ourselves declare faith in Jesus when we get baptized and involved in community with other believers, and yet we still go through the same trials and temptations, and sometimes even worse trials and temptations as before we knew Jesus. How does this all make sense? Well, bitterness is the, is the root of untreated hurt. Let me say that again. Bitterness is the direct root of hurt left untreated. We develop bitterness when something that causes us pain doesn't make sense and continues to prick and pry as we search for answers. And if you're anything like me, the one answer we always need is why. My wife gets a text why are they texting you? Someone cuts me off on Bardstown Road. Why would they do that? We have church, or we have dinner with friends from church uh, at Elno Paul in J-Town, and I walk out, and it was a great two hours of dinner, and I love Elno Paul, and I walk out, and there's a huge dent in the side of my car, and I say, why? That's just, I don't know, I just made that up. Uh, <laughs> or maybe, maybe you're wondering this morning why you're infertile. Maybe you're wondering why your spouse is leaving. 
why did God allow sickness and disease into my body? These are the questions that take our minds captive and unsettle us. But even if we knew why, that still wouldn't be able to heal the hurt that's inside of us, the hurt of losing a child, the hurt of divorce, the hurt of life with cancer, answering why will never heal the generational and self-imposed infection of sin on our lives. From Adam to now, sin has corrupted every person, every family, every generation, and that sin has caused immense pain for God's people. We need more than a why. We need someone who can help, someone who can get me through this, and someone who can begin to heal the hurt I carry daily. And the longer we let heavy hurt sit on our soul without surrendering it over to God, the more bitterness our hearts excrete under the weight and pressure of choosing to carry that burden by ourselves. Do you feel heavy this morning? Is someone or something causing you pain. If you're new to Fern Creek, we like to keep it real. <laughs> we can't help each other follow Jesus if we cannot keep it real. And you know what's real is that life hurts sometimes. People hurt us sometimes. But we have to find a way to deal with that hurt so it doesn't fester and root into bitterness. And if you're tired of tasting nothing but bitterness and you're desperately searching for something fresh, let me introduce you to the God we worship here at Fern Creek. We're gonna be in the book of Ruth this morning. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible, probably because it's four chapters, and that's doable. <laughs> Ruth is in your Old Testament. It's after Judges before 1st and 2nd Samuel. So if you're looking for it after Judges, before 1st and 2nd Samuel, we're gonna start right at the first verse of this book, Ruth. Here's how it reads. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. Let's stop right there. Very first verse, bad news. Famine means no crops, no crops means no food. People are starving. Let's keep reading. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, that's fun to say, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died. There's bad thing number two. And Naomi was left with her two sons. And you're probably thinking, at least she's got her two sons, but let's keep reading. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah and the other a woman named Ruth. 
But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. So recap, Naomi and her family were forced to leave Israel because of the famine. They were forced to move into this foreign territory, not home. Then her husband dies, and as if that weren't enough, both of her sons die as well. Now reading this, I'm like, God, really? Why would you allow this? What did Naomi do wrong? And look at what Naomi says in reaction to all this that's happened in her life. She says, don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? You see that underlined word Mara? Naomi, whose, whose name actually means pleasant, is no longer feeling pleasant. But she's feeling bitter as black coffee. Mara means bitter. Naomi's telling all those around her, call me what I am. I am bitter. And Naomi's experiencing hurt she's never felt before. And like us, some of the time, she doesn't know why it all happened, but she doesn't drown herself in why. She simply acknowledges that this is what the Lord has for her. This is the hand she's been dealt. And notice whose name she changes. She doesn't change God's name. God, you are mean. God, you are cruel. God, you are unfair. No, Naomi changes her name. Her experience, her suffering is bitter. God is not. And Naomi doesn't let her feelings of hurt and loss change her devotion to God. Her faith in God's goodness and sovereignty stands firm even while she hurts. And you know, scripture can teach us righteous perspective on suffering. You know, the author of Hebrews says that God uses suffering as a father uh, disciplines his children. James says uh, those who persevere under trial are blessed. Uh, James also writes, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, for the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And while all those things are true and hopeful, I know some of us hear that and we still feel bitter because our questions about God remain. Is God for me or is he against me? Is God really good? God, are you up there? Do you see me? Let's keep uh, reading Naomi's story. Hang on to those questions. Naomi hears about a good crop season back home in Israel. And so her plan is to move back. 
She says, the famine is over, I'm moving back home. Now, isn't this a little surprising? That she would wanna go back to the place where she started this life with her husband and two sons. And if God were this mean, cruel, unfair God, why go back to the place where people worship him? I believe it's because Naomi wants to get right with God. Naomi wants his help. And Naomi knows whether blessing or curse, whether pleasant or bitter, God is the only one she can turn to in this mess. And in her bitterness, she runs to God. She draws in closer. I believe our circumstances can either make us faithless or faithful. And I've seen so many people over the last few years of ministry turn their back on God because of the difficulty of their circumstance. If God was real, he would never let this happen. But that's not Naomi's attitude. She leans in. And she knows she needs God now more than ever. And even at the peak of her suffering, God is working all things for her good according to his purpose. God has a plan and Naomi trusts him. And look at this. Ruth, one of the girls whom Naomi's son had married, says that she wants to move with her. She's in, she refuses to turn her back on Naomi. Look at Ruth one. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Wow. And our hurt In our bitterness, we need a friend like Ruth. And when someone we know is hurting, we need to be a Ruth for them. I pray that our church would be a family like this, where we have each other's backs and we care deeply about one another. And Ruth's kindness here leaves Naomi speechless. And Ruth's kindness is the first sign of how God is going to bring hope and redemption into Naomi's story. The story shifts back towards Ruth. And now we enter one of my favorite parts of this scripture. I call it the rom-com section. Because back in Bethlehem, Ruth starts gleaning gleaning crops in a random rich guy's field. His name is Boaz. It's a pretty cool name. (laughs) Gleaning is the practice of going into a recently harvested field and picking up whatever crops remained. You know, maybe uh, they had dropped some crop. Maybe they left a a plant uh, unharvested. 
Uh, lots of the poor in Israel would do this uh, to get food for their family. Now, even though she's Moabite and not Jewish, Boaz likes her. He likes her a lot. And you can read it in the scripture, go home and read it. He leans over to his servant and he goes, who's that? Who's that girl? Some of you get that reference. Uh, there we go. It's in there. No, I'm just kidding. That's not in there. But anyways, Boaz, get this, get this. Rom-com time. No, this is, this is God's time. Excuse me for saying right. This is God moving and working. Boaz just so happens to be a relative of the family. He's a relative of Naomi's late husband, Elimelech. Now, being a relative of a family in need, you're obligated by Jewish law to redeem their fortunes. And in this case, it meant marrying Naomi's widowed daughter-in-law, Ruth. Now, when the two meet, uh, neither seem to recognize Boaz's position as kinsman redeemer. But Ruth goes home and tells Naomi about this kind, good-looking guy in the fields. And look at Ruth chapter two. I love this. Naomi is pumped. She says, the Lord bless him. For all the young ladies in the room, if you talk about a guy at home and your parents say, the Lord bless him, he's a keeper, <laughs> keeper. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our, look at this, guardian redeemers. This is awesome news, except for one guy who's a closer relative than Boaz. Oh. Well, Boaz wants to meet this guy. Look at Ruth chapter four. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, <clears throat> come over here, my friend. <laughs> Sit down. I imagine Boaz is this tough guy. So he went over and sat down. The two talk it out. And it turns out that this guy can not only, he can't afford to redeem the family, but he also doesn't want to. He doesn't want it. Boaz wants to and gets to do it himself. Ruth and Boaz get married and they bear a son named Obed. Look at the very end of the book of Ruth. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David and who eventually comes from the line of David? Say it out loud. The Messiah. Knowing the full story now, can we see how God does something beautiful in Naomi's life? What was at one moment a story of misfortune and bitterness 
is now a testimony of his grace and restoration. That is the God we worship. And while we still have questions about why Naomi had to lose her husband and two sons. We know God's character in the midst of this account is clear. God is a redeemer and we can trust him. And what the enemy intends to break us, God is more powerful and can use it to make us. And please don't miss this next part. Naomi's story is our story too. When we were dead in our sin, when we were stuck with no way out, God sent his son Jesus to offer us freedom and life with him. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Think about it. He wore our flesh. He stepped into our hurt and pain. He even felt it for himself and he provided us with a way out. Hebrews 2.11 reminds us that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Jesus is our family. And as our family, he paid the debt we owed. He paid the price for you and me to be made right with God. And he rescued us from the consequence of our own sin, death. And so we probably have some reasons to be bitter about what's happened in our life. But man, God has shown his grace in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he continues to work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. As followers of Jesus, we may suffer, but we suffer in hope that God will restore everything that's been broken in our lives. Even if it's not in this lifetime. And it's only when we receive his grace that our hurt can begin to heal. You know, I was talking with someone at church a couple weeks ago at breakfast, and we talked about how at church, everyone you see just seems so sure. And he was bothered by this. And as you walk around on a Sunday morning, you don't see a lot of hurting people. You don't hear a lot of questions being asked. But that doesn't mean they don't exist. There are a lot of us hurting. There are a lot of us with questions. Questions about the goodness of God because they just watched their mother die of cancer. Questions about God's love when they see someone from the church spreading hate and lies. Questions about whether they belong here at Fern Creek because they just can't seem to fully grasp the story presented in the gospel, but they want to. And when we seek God with all our heart, soul, and mind, questions can be good. Questions, when we seek answers, lead us to truth. But I wanna make sure this morning that you don't leave with any question about the grace of God. There are a lot of bad things in life that don't make sense, but there's one thing in our favor that also doesn't make sense. His unconditional love for you and me. We didn't earn it. It's nothing we've achieved. 
Science can't put it under a microscope and explain it. It's just who God is. He loves us and there's no question about it because he proved it. He went to the cross and he took the curse of sin so that anyone who believes in him might receive God's blessing for eternity. I said earlier that grace and bitterness can't coexist. And here's why. When we choose to be bitter about our life circumstances, we fall short in understanding all that God has done for us. And the only way to dig up that root of bitterness is by trusting that God's grace will show up in our life. Even if it's not in this lifetime, we walk in the promise of eternity because of our faith in Jesus. But friends, be like Naomi and run to God in your bitterness. Some of us may be walking through a Ruth chapter one season, but the same God in Ruth chapter one is the same God in Ruth chapter four. Keep trusting him. I wanna end with this beautiful scene. The grandchild Naomi holds in Ruth four is the grandfather of David. David walks through some pretty hard stuff in his life. And I wonder if David, as he battled the root of bitterness in his life, thought of the faith of his great-great-grandmother, Naomi. Look at Psalm 56, as David writes, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. But look at this. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know. God is on my side. I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. And friends, as Christians, we live on the other side of that promise. We've seen the promise. He did it. Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O oh God, and will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping, so now I can walk in your presence, O oh God, in your life-giving light. And if you're ready to quit bitterness, to lay it aside, to walk in this life-giving light of Jesus, to link arms with our family here at Fern Creek. If you wanna talk about getting baptized into his forgiveness and walk in this newness of life that Jesus bought for you, I'd love to talk to you down front after the service. But friends, let's take the next couple of minutes to take communion together and to remember exactly what God's grace means.
that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's take communion together. Hey, it's Matt Zola again. That was a powerful message we just heard. I pray that what we have learned today wouldn't just be stored in our minds, but would move into our hearts and help us to be conformed into the image of God's Son, Jesus. And I pray that that message helped you become a better follower of Jesus and taught you how to love, live, and lead like Jesus. If you want to talk with somebody about something you just heard or you want prayer for something going on in your life, there's somebody on staff who would love to connect with you. Why don't you email us at office at ferncreekcc.org and we want to put a name to your face. We want to know your story and we want to connect with you in person if we can. Again, that's office at ferncreekcc.org. You know, one of the things we value at Fern Creek Christian Church is being a part of community. If you've been listening to our sermons online or you've been watching our services on YouTube or Facebook, why don't you come visit us in person one Sunday? We would love to get to know who you are, and we believe that we grow better as followers of Jesus in community and not in isolation. You know, God gives us community as a gift. We have services every Sunday morning, 845, 10, and 1115, and we hope that you'll feel welcomed enough to be able to join us and worship with us in person. Thanks for tuning in today. Grace, peace, bless others this week.